Well, again, I'd like to welcome welcome you to New Life in in Pulaski, Wisconsin. You know, they started this um, they started this road project back in March, and today they decided to go through our driveway. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's just like God, right? Um, so. Um, I'm Pastor Bob Weed. I have the amazing privilege of, of pastoring this house with my lovely wife, Trudy, if you would stand. And um, and I'd also like Pastor Eric and, and Danielle to stand as well. They're going to be pastoring here. Brand spanking new to Wisconsin. All right. So, no, it really is a, a great privilege and an honor to, to host this Abundant Life Conference. We've been praying for a long time uh, that God would have his way through each and every session and through each and every person. Uh, we really uh, want to bless uh, Dan in a, in a big way. Uh, the biggest way is just to be sensitive to what God is saying through him. That's the biggest blessing. Uh, we would like to bless him financially as well, and, and we're going to do that tomorrow morning. Uh, so we want you to just uh, be thinking and praying and say, Lord, how can I bless this, this, this message that is going out in such a powerful way? So we're going to be taking an offering in the morning. I don't want anybody to feel pressured to give, but uh, we want to support um, this, this servant. You know, there's, um, there's apostles that the church has given, has received from the Lord. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, right? And teachers. And we got a little bit of everything in one man. His name is Dan. Let's give him a warm, a warm welcome. Bless you, sir. Thank you. Bless you. Good to meet you, Dan. Bless you. Hey, guys. <laughs> Oh my goodness, grab your chairs. Hey, this is cool. <laughs> Boy, that was a fun time. I'm glad I joined you all for worship. That was good. <laughs> this is a heart cry here, wasn't it? Oh, you would know. You guys, I know you're pastored well here. I, I spent a little time with your pastor on the phone and I thought, wow, these guys are taught well. And you step in a place and you have a corporate experience like we had just a minute ago. This worship was, this, this was really good. It just, I just could, man, it was a lot of participation. Just keep on going after God like that as a house, as a whole. Yeah? And just know he's good and just give him all the honor and just keep exalting him for who he really is. Amen? Because that's when who he is gets really real and big on the inside of you. You can let a lot of the things get bigger if you choose to, but he truly is the Lord. Amen? Man, I'm excited. I've probably got so much on my heart, I'm trying to calm down. <laughs> Why don't we do something? That's just, uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I did this last week and it worked good. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me right now. <laughs> let's just, uh, let's just pray. Because you guys came. I'm here. I flew here. You came. We believe that this was all set up. You guys have bathed this thing in prayer this whole time. He, he was sharing. I'm like so humbled by that. I just want to pray. Let's just, just, just open. When we pray, you just open your heart. Look, we're here. 
We want him to have his way, do in our hearts, do in our lives what he desires. Is that true? Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you. We, 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 have, we have actually planned to gather. We believe that you orchestrated this. We believe the connection, the weekend, the timing. We, we really do. But, but we're here. Even if we had just planned to come here, I, I believe our hearts are sincere. We want to know you more. We want to hear your voice. And we really want you to have your way. Pastor Bob already said it. You know the room. You know the room. If they handed you a microphone tonight, you know exactly what you would say. You, you, you wouldn't have to think about it. And we're asking those to be the only words that come forth tonight and that you would do exactly what you want to do. We yield to you. We acknowledge you as Lord. Almighty God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all good? Good, good, good. Okay, uh, man, I get the privilege to, to just, uh, I get invited to go places and preach and share, and I've been having fun doing it. Never saw myself doing this when I pastored full-time. I actually, it was the last thing I thought I'd ever be doing. It's funny how you think you won't be doing something, and that's what you end up doing. Uh, and honestly, I'll tell you why. I didn't have a good impression of itinerant ministry, just the, 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 what brushed past when I was pastoring, and I'm not speaking anything negative, I'm just telling you what I went through. I, I didn't have a good impression of itinerant ministry. It seemed like the people that passed through the church, they were calling a lot, sending messages, CDs, and they were passing through town, and they always wanted to preach in the pulpit. And that kind of weirded me out. I thought I could never imagine calling you saying, hey, I'd love to preach in your pulpit, Bob. <laughs> it just was a weird thought, you know, passing through town, Love a little time, share, and of course I would love if you'd take me an offering. That's, that's what they would do. And it just wigged me out a little. And so then I got asking questions, and I asked some folks some things on the phone about calling and leading and just Holy Spirit's involvement in that. And it just always sounded like people were trying to make a schedule, redeem time and travel, and it always had to do with income. So I thought, man, that's just something I don't have a vision for, and I don't think I would. No, I'm never going to be doing that. So here I am for a long time. It's all I do. Like, and my church has totally released me to do this. They believe it's God, and, and, and I believe it is too, because I never knocked on anybody's door to preach. I never asked for a penny. I, I have so many invites. It's, it's remarkable. Like, it, it, it tells me there's something about the message people want, they're not afraid of, they're hungry for, for that many leaders and pastors. This is an honor right here. I don't know if you understand this. This isn't like a spotlight. This is humbling. This is an honor. Pastor Bob has allowed me, and, and you guys are stepping in now to be pastors in his house, have allowed me to come here for a weekend and have influence in the hearts of the people that you've been pastoring. This is not, this is humbling. This isn't like you don't ever just want to get in front and speak so you can be in a position and be noticed. That's weird stuff. This is humbling. There's an accountability here. You answer for this. Don't let many of you be teachers. There's a stricter judgment on that thing. Teaching. You get it? So here I am with all these invites, and I'm like, I mean, I just told uh, uh, Kurt and Michelle, I said, you know, they picked me up at the airport. We hung out a little bit before we got here, and, and we were talking about this. And she said, how did you choose here? I said, I, 
I really don't know other than she was like, oh, I was wishing you'd tell me the Lord like just, I think she meant like just showed up in my bedroom. <laughs> Go there. I'd love to tell you that, but I don't want to embellish that and make that up. I just read through and it felt good to me. I pulled it out and I put it on a stack of possible go there. My possible go there stack had about 120 invites laying on it and I do 45 weekends. So I'm still only going to a third of what's on that stack. This stack that I didn't, that didn't make my 120, upper room stack, my 120, I just thought of that, <laughs> is a very big stack. So there was a couple of factors. It just felt good. I read it. Just boom. Uh, I saw the Green Bay area. I saw this area, Pulaski. I thought, I was never right here. And I liked that. I thought, I'm going to go somewhere where I haven't been. So I found out when I got here, I was already here on YouTube for some folks. <laughs> so I was already here. <laughs> but I've never been here. But... Uh, but it's exciting. Put yourself in my shoes. Here's a guy. I've just, I've just got changed by Jesus. I went to work, got changed by Jesus. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to share something here in a second. I, I got changed by Jesus, going to work one night, and came home, and I knew I'd never be the same. I just knew. I walked around for a couple days. See, I'm 24 years in. I, it, it just makes me want to cry. So thankful for God. The gospel's amazing. It's designed to change your life. Not just fill your bank account and protect you and make sure things go good. The gospel's designed to change your life, to make you new, to make you more like him, to change you, to get that old thing, whatever it was, off of you and get that new thing on you called Christ in you, him in you. Yeah? I just know that I, I came home and for days I was saying, I'll never be the same. My life will never be the same. I'm changed forever. You changed me. You're so real. And I would hug myself all the time, but I didn't feel like I was hugging myself. I just love you so much. And it just it changed me. I, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still a mess when it comes to that 24 years later. Why? Because you know him a little bit more. You just love him and love him and love him. You know him a little bit more. All of a sudden, I'm teaching, I'm sharing, I'm pastoring. Two years later, churches, I'm going around. And, and now that this YouTube thing, which is fascinating to me because I am so not technical. I mean, I'm 57. Three years ago, I actually got a cell phone because I was forced to. Because <laughs> you can't live life without one now. You can't travel all over and you can't make a phone call. Like if your flight gets delayed and you got to reach the people that are picking you up, you can't find a phone. You'd have to borrow a phone. Like I was the only guy I ever saw for about five years on a pay phone in the airport. And the kids would look at me like, what's he doing? What is that? I'm just on a pay phone. I've had a cell phone for three years. I don't, I don't, even, I don't, I don't even carry it. Or, I only have it because I need it. Like, I am zero, like, I don't even have any desire for a computer. I've never owned one. I don't see myself ever owning one. I wouldn't turn it on. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I, I'm just not that guy. I, I'd take a walk in the woods. I'm not, I'm just not a computer guy. Like, I see the people in the airplanes with their phones playing their little games. I would last five seconds. That's not even true. I wouldn't even turn the game on. I'm just not that way. It wouldn't do anything for me. I'd be like, Ugh. 
So here I am, don't own a computer, but I'm all over the computer apparently. Because people say, you're all over YouTube. One guy said, you have a channel. I said, I don't have anything. I, I don't know what you mean. No, you have a whole channel. It's very organized. Isn't it amazing that I don't have a clue what they're talking about? I don't know the people responsible, and I have nothing to do with it. I think that's amazing. It's humbling. It's incredible. Why? Because I just want to live what he created me to live. I'm not trying to be anybody. I'm not trying to build anything. I'm not trying to be known, be seen. I just want to live within my sphere of influence faithfully. And everybody I'm looking at has one. Everybody in this room has a sphere of influence. You've been given a gift called life. This little window called life. Oh, understand it's a gift, not a grind, not a dread, not a challenge. Life's tough. Life's a gift. Life's only tough when people live it outside of why they're here. Because then there's no grace to empower purpose. Because there's no purpose. If you're just trying to make it, you don't feel like you are. If you don't understand why you're here, you're here to shine. You're here to manifest Jesus. You're here to walk in love. Like you're here to reveal him through your life. Not just miracles. We sang about them. They're real. Through your personality, your disposition, your mindset, your motives. You're on the earth to manifest the image of God. It's the reason God made people. And if we get outside of that reason, now we're striving and struggling and even trying to incorporate him in to make it work. One of the biggest traps in this country that we live in is preaching the gospel to serve us instead of transform. So you got a lot of discouraged people that go to church because they don't understand why he's in them. They're using him to try to make it and they're already in. They already made it. (laughs) They're looking for circumstantial blessings instead of life in Christ. You don't have to do me right for me to be all right. My plane didn't have to be on time for me to have joy today. Nobody had to do anything nice for me. Jesus lives inside of me with purpose. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm on to something here. I got on to this about 24 years ago. People look at you and so they think you're out of your mind. No, I'm probably out of yours. <laughs> See, I'm out of yours. So things look different. See, we got to get out of our minds and into the mind of Christ. It's not a spooky thing. It's not a butterfly floating around the earth not making sense. It's something calculated and powerful and humbling and amazing. That on my darkest day, God didn't lose sight of who he created me to be. That love had never failed. That mercy triumphed over judgment. And the blood of Jesus was speaking better things over my life. No matter how messed up I was. (laughs) 
Why? Because love never fails. He never changed his mind. He said, I know who you are, boy, even if you don't have a clue. I know who you are, even if nobody else understands. And one day, I'm going to pull you to me, draw you to me, woo you to me, and I'm going to give you understanding. I think I got some of that understanding. I want to grow in it, but I think I got some of it right now. I understand why I'm alive now. I promise you people, you're alive for his great name. You're not alive for people to treat you right today. That would be awesome. (laughs) That's a no-brainer, but that's not your goal. Because if that's your goal, then you're not all right when they don't treat you right. And then you're questioning, where's your faith? What do you need to do to get God to move on your behalf? And all of a sudden, it's a self-centered little world with spiritual language. And all of a sudden, life is speaking louder than truth. And you're only doing as good as it's going. And he's in you the whole time. And you have purpose and destiny waiting for you to walk in. And you're caught up in who did and who didn't, and he said and she said, well, I wouldn't if they didn't. Well, how would you feel? And all of a sudden, we got all kinds of things deciding who we are. And none of those things are him. I'm done living that way. I've been done living that way, actually, for a very long time. To me, a long time. In the light of eternity, it's a window. But to me, it's 24 years. I've been doing good. <laughs> you ought to come with me. I'm serious. I flew up here to compel you to come with me. Take a walk in the park with me. It's so fun to be okay because of who you're called to be, not how things are going. People get a little nervous when you preach like this because we're so busy praying for blessing and everything to go the way we need it. And all of a sudden, our preferences are more Lord than he is. And all of a sudden, the only reason we're going to him is to get him to make our lives work. That's why there's discouraged Christians that go to church. (laughs) Be honest with me. If you're truly discouraged, where's your focus? On you and how things are affecting you and what it's creating, costing, and whatever. If Jesus lived that day, that way for one day, he'd have never made it to the cross. If we live that way, how will we ever carry our cross and follow him? Come on, this thing isn't about him blessing us. He does that just because of who he is. This thing is about him transforming us. And you and I living from a different why, a different reason for being, a different place than we've ever lived before. That's where true freedom is found. When you wake up and have your heart taught through prayer and the word to seek first the kingdom and not your well-being, that's freedom. That's the end of fear. That's the end of worry. That's the end of anxiety. That's the end of self-consciousness and the fear of man. See, because all those things are attached and thrive in a self-centered world. You show me one scripture where Jesus emphasized you making it to heaven versus dying to who you were so you could live. Jesus' emphasis is die. 
Change the way you think. Die to the old. Live to the new. Die to yourself. Deny yourself. Put off. Put on. That's the language in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said, if any of you come after me, let him first deny himself. He didn't say, if any of you come after me, make sure you pray this prayer so you can get your name in a book called Life. Who knows? That's awesome if your name's in a book called Life. Who knows that we rejoice in that? We don't rejoice that the demons, we rejoice that our names are in the book of life. So we are excited that we are participants in the realm of life. We've been entered back into life through Jesus Christ. We're one with the eternal one. We're never going to die. But the goal of our salvation isn't that we're never going to die. It's that we're transformed back to what we were intended to be so we can leave a legacy when we get there. So we've brought glory to his name so that we could be fruitful and multiply. In this, the Father's well pleased. Did you pray a prayer to go to heaven? No, that you bear much fruit and your fruit remain. And then he's going to come and trim you up and prune you up so you bear even more fruit. Scripture, I found it. It's John 15. I read it. You can't talk me out of it. It's there. It's there. I'm, I'm done yell button with anybody. This thing is settled in my heart. I'm alive for one reason, to shine. And if I don't pursue that, I will let time slip by and I will miss the reason that he came. And all of a sudden, life will subtly speak louder than truth. And that's why there's no freedom. Because it's truth that makes you free. And all of a sudden, you need somebody to say the right thing. All of a sudden, you need somebody to do the right thing. Now you're on the thinnest ice of your life. Because then you're only as good as you're being done. Instead of as good as he is in you and why. And all of a sudden, we're deceived and don't even realize it. Because it's always been this way. So this is kind of what it looks like to deny yourself. <laughs> Just building up to it. <laughs> this is what it looks like to deny yourself. How can you deny yourself and have so many rights? Well, they should have never. Well, how come they? Well, they should have knew better. Well, they were Christians longer than me. Well, he was a pastor. Well, they're a leader in the church. Well, I'm mad. Well, I don't think I want to come here anymore. Well, I've been serving for how long and nobody's even acting like they appreciate it. I just know I've been a Christian for 24 years and I've seen a whole lot of hurt people that say they're Christians and their heart's sincere in saying they're Christians, but we're missing what Christianity is. Christianity is not a confession. It's not a prayer to get you to heaven. Christianity is Christ-likeness. Christianity is life in the Spirit. Christianity is the heart of God revealed. Yay. Come on. Christianity isn't the church we attend. It's not the denomination we're affiliated with. It's little Christ-like one. Christian, little Christ-like one. Isn't that what it means? Help me. No, I'm looking to the pastors. That's what it means. Little Christ-like one. You can let church attendance, your daily devotion, your service and ministry take the place of knowing him. And knowing him is the expression of Christianity. 
What's eternal life? Praying a prayer to go to heaven or knowing him? Where's that? John 17, 3. And this is eternal life that you might the only true God. What's eternal life? Knowing him. That means you can't know him without being influenced and changed by him. You know what I found in 1 John 4? It's verse 7 and 8. It's amazing. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is of God and everyone. How many? Everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Why do you loveth? Because you know God. He who loveth not just doesn't know God. Doesn't say you don't see your need for a Savior. Doesn't say that you never cried over the fact that you were a sinner and repented from your heart. Doesn't say any of that. It says, if you don't love, you don't know God. Not two reasons, one reason if you don't love. Not two, one. If you don't love, there's one reason you don't know him like you could. You can serve in the ministry, you can go in the mission field, you can feed the hungry, you can do good works, and you can do good deeds, and you can have good things in your heart. But if you don't love, there's one reason you don't know him like you could. And guess what love is? Love is patient, love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is keeps no record of the wrong done to it. Then my question is, why are we so busted up? Why do we get so busted up by each other? And why do we have to call counseling appointments to try to get peace back together and sort it all out? Because we haven't been perfected in love. Why do we have to avoid the appearance of the evil in the church? Why do we have to always avoid, it's scripture, avoid the appearance of evil? Why did God humbly stick that into scripture? Because he knows men will think evil even if it isn't evil. So he wants us to avoid the appearance of it. But why? Because we're not perfected in love because love thinks no evil. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? So the goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction. 1 Timothy 1.5. The goal of our instruction. Some translations say the purpose of the commandment is to love. Now, I'm not talking about being loved. I'm talking about becoming love. That's the goal of the commandment. It's the purpose of all the instruction we receive. As the outcome would be that we're restored back to love. Are you guys with me? This is what Jesus paid for, guys. And we've got so caught up in so many other things because we were born into Adam, not born into him. We were born into the fall of man. We were born into Adam. It's Romans 5, Right? Through one man's disobedience, we were all disobedient, right? We were born into Adam. We must be born. Let's not turn that into a prayer that takes me to heaven. Let's turn that into something that I become something different. (laughs) What's the world benefit if you're going to heaven and you're still mad at your spouse and don't like your boss and you're still complaining on your job and you're shining no light? (laughs) What's it matter if you're going to heaven and no heaven's coming out of you? Hello? So are we just trying to get names in a book? Are we just trying to get everybody to shake their head yes to our prayer? Or are we pursuing lives transformed? Healthy water baptisms where people come out and get filled with Holy Spirit. Yeah? Because they died and everything they ever did went down and died in the likeness of his death. So they raised in the newness of life. It's Romans 6. It's there. (laughs) I read that book. I didn't open it yet, but I read it when you weren't looking. No, I did open it. I just didn't read out of it. But if you're listening, I've been quoting it. 
When's she going to read the Bible? Listen carefully. <laughs> I don't have that much time with you. Sometimes you just got to roll. You just don't have much time. I have several sessions. It'll boom, boom, boom. It'll be done. And I'll be back on a plane. I had one crack at your smiling faces. Do you know why I flew here? I flew here because I believe what I'm preaching. And honestly believed you'd be here. And here you are. I didn't fly here for the honorarium. We didn't even talk about that. If I go to churches for an honorarium, I'd take my hundreds of invites and pick out the biggest churches I could find. Because just math says, basic percentage, say a bigger church, bigger honorarium. That's, that's the last thing on my mind. Not to devalue giving and blessing, and I understand your heart, Pastor. This is not why I came. I don't turn in reimbursements. I buy my own plane tickets because I believe the gospel. I'm not here for you to reimburse me. I'm here to invest into your heart a seed of what has transformed my life. You don't live with me, but I do. I used to not like me, but I like me now. I used to need you to like me, to believe I was likable. Now I don't even need you to treat me right. And I'm going to be okay. <laughs> you know what that means? It means I'm finally free to love you without any strings attached. And all of a sudden, I don't even know you guys, and I can step into healthy relationship because there's no hidden expectations and there's nothing to fail. I didn't wake up today to be loved by any of you. I woke up to be more like him. Now that's a pretty good day already. I woke up to shine. I woke up to walk in the light like he's in the light. I didn't wake up for favor. I already got it. I didn't wake up for blessing. I'm so blessed I don't even know what to do. People say, pour it on him, Lord. I say, stop, you're praying. Here's a prayer I get a lot. Lord, he has poured out all weekend. Please fill him up. And I'm like, stop. I'm already overflowing. Stop praying those prayers. <laughs> we just think I'm, I'm pouring out. And as I'm pouring my heart out, I'm going dry or something. That's what we think. <laughs> there's, there's nobody drinking from my cup right now. Okay. At best, you're playing in my soul, sir. <laughs> he anoints your head, your cup runneth over. People aren't making me go dry. <laughs> Come on. You measure spirituality by overflow, not the level of the cup. If they're drinking out of my cup, I'm in trouble. All of a sudden, people are wearing on me. All of a sudden, I need a break. All of a sudden, people are wearying me. And all of a sudden, I start to lean on certain personalities and avoid others because they're wearing on me. Next thing you know, I'm living partial and prejudice and first impressions. And I'm back to where I was before I knew Jesus. Are you guys okay? Am I messing up really bad or what? <laughs> I'm not even sure what I'm doing right now. I'm, help, Lord. You should hear me inside. Help. <laughs> Jesus. 
It's just, it's just, we get this subtle idea that somehow he's just here to make our day go the way we hope. You got to get that out of your heart and mind. That is not, has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is him revealing more and more who he is to who you are. So who he is flows through who you are so that your life makes a difference even in mustard seed ways. Because even a mustard seed grows into something amazing. And all of a sudden you're the kingdom of God on the earth working and functioning, sowing and watering and God giving increase. All your friends and family know how they betrayed you and you didn't live one day betrayed. All your friends know how they should have hurt you and you didn't live one day hurt. And for two weeks they accuse you of being in denial and trying to be super spiritual. Face reality, brother. Nobody would look down on you if you were hurt. Look what you've been through. There's a moment for grieving. That's what people do. Good Christian people try to talk people out of being okay. We stand up here and preach you can be okay, and then when you're okay, nobody believes it because you shouldn't be okay. Oh, come on, I've heard this. I've heard pastors say this. Be careful those people in your congregations that are always okay. When you ask them how they're doing, they're always okay. You need to get that brother alone and say, now, brother, it's just you and me. How are you really doing? Because what they're implying is you can't be okay, which means if they're preaching that, they're not okay. But they have the microphone. So now we just get reduced to relatability. Everybody relating. Everybody relating in our weakness. Everybody relating in our susceptibility. Getting it real, brother. Bringing it right on the table where we're all just the same. Well, you probably couldn't even bring Jesus into that. That's how you know it's wrong. He called you out of darkness into the light. He called you to be sanctified. He called you to put off and put on some things. He paid for your transformation. He said to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He said, don't ever think like you used to think. Put on a brand new mind. Live from that place, the spirit of your mind. Function and flow out of this new wellspring called life in me. He said, not to owe anybody anything except to love. When you listen to Jesus, it's new life. It has nothing to do with the way I was before I knew him. Nothing to do. I, nothing to do with the man I was. That man died. We put him under in water baptism. He died in the likeness of his death. He died to sin, its effects, its stain, its sting, its memory, its compulsion. Died once and for all. And the life he now lives, he lives unto God. That's a Christian. <laughs> yeah, but you don't know what I've been through. What about what he's been through? What about what he's been through? When's that matter more? When's it matter more what he's been through? Yeah, but you don't know what it was like when I was growing up. Stop. You're 45. Stop. Just stop. 
I'm not being insensitive. Stop. We all have a story. Why are we letting our story matter more than truth is where freedom is? Why is our story always more important? We're always trying to live from our story. Of course we've been through hell. Some of us have been through more hell than others. But to try to sort all that out, the most we'll do is see who deserves the most sympathy, and sympathy doesn't change a life. And all of a sudden, the highest grace you receive is that somebody cares about your story. That's where you get reduced to. The highest grace you can receive is that somebody cares. But that doesn't change the story. And now you have permission to stay the same, so tomorrow's always yesterday. And your life will never make a difference because you're believing a lie. Yeah? Ooh, we got aggressive there, didn't we? Come on, there's people doing this all the time in innocence and ignorance. It's not because they're evil, wicked, or it's called deception. It's deceiving because it's full of feelings and memories and flashbacks. And you relate there. I asked the Lord less than a year ago, just perplexed by this thing, laying on my bed, Lord, why do people hold on to their past so tight even when they hear the clearest gospel they can hear? Why do they say, yeah, but? Why? You've ever seen it? Yeah, I said, why do they say, yeah, but? He said, it's the only place they've ever found any sense of identity, whether good or bad. It's who they think they are. And they're trying to find me through that instead of let that go and find me. So all of a sudden, we bring him through the eye of the needle of our life instead of bring our life through the eye of the needle of him. And we get it backwards. And the thing that we're... doesn't look like him. All of a sudden, we incorporate him into our life instead of him become our life. Come on. It absolutely doesn't matter that my dad was an alcoholic and never said I love you. It doesn't matter. Can't stop a thing. Why? Because I'm separated from that season, that life, that place. I'm brand new. I don't even need my dad to make up for anything because he can't. I'd love to see him saved, which he is. But before all that happened, I don't even need anything to be okay because the truth has come. And I'm not a beaten down son that was never encouraged by my dad. I'm a son that's been lifted up by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, I find my life in him. And all of a sudden, I realize my dad's a dry cup. He's living in a place where he needs this truth. He has nothing to give me. He's bankrupt. So now I'm in need, and I'm trying to drink from a dry cup. Of course I'm thirsty. And because we call him dad and he's supposed to love me, but he doesn't, then I interpret it into my value. I must be a nobody. Even my own dad doesn't love me. And we rationalize and get analytical and run it through our mind again and again and come out with a lousy resume. And yet, while you were yet a sinner, he came. When you had no idea who you were, he said, I know who you are. I know what you'll look like when I'm in you and when you're surrendered and you're worth paying for with my life. So let's get it on. Yay. 
And you think I'm going to stop these outstretched arms and the message of this cross because of an alcoholic dad upbringing, childhood, uncle so-and-so doing what he should have never did? Forget that. I'm done letting what one man or one person said and did decide my life if it isn't Jesus. Because we sing he's Lord, then why are we letting everything else govern us? We sing he's Lord, why is everything else deciding us? I do not need my dad to make up for lost time or even say, I love you. Why? Because everything's changed now in Christ. My goal is to love him, not be loved by him. Love him no matter what. Because that's what Jesus did to me when I was lost. Somehow we miss that if we're not careful. (laughs) And here we were, repeat offenders, doing some of the same things over again. Didn't even realize how we were trampling on the will of God and the heart of God and the call of God in our lives. And then God comes and washes that all away. And then we get offended in this direction or this direction. Or we need somebody to make up for something instead of just love them. God loved me when I was so unlovable. Why? He didn't look at what was unlovable. He looked at calling, destiny, and purpose. And he knew I was much more than I ever understood. He knew I had purpose and potential. Yeah? It's the goodness of the cross. It's the good news. You got to make all see. It's the love of God. You got to see it first if you're going to love Him. Who's been in this room growing up and you hear the gospel and people saying God loves you and in your mind you'd think, well, I don't know how He could love me. Who's ever heard anybody talking like that? I don't know how God could love me. Oh, I hope He loves me. Some people say, it's amazing He puts up with me. Do you ever hear people talk like this? Anybody in this room ever talk like that? Yeah? Look, you're all afraid to raise your hands. So <laughs> must be your teaching, brother. I'm not talking about who you are now. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, see, here, it's not an accident that the gospel's been preached in a way that we can't see God's love because when you can't see God's love, you can't love him in response. Like when you see his love, <laughs> ah! Yeah, You don't love him first. He first loved you. When you see his first love, your heart responds. Watch. When you don't see his first love, the best you can be is you feel indebted to him because in your heart you believe the cross and then you become a servant instead of a son. So now you feel like you got to do something in the name of the Lord instead of become something because of the grace of the Lord. You see what I mean? So if you don't see the love of God clear in your life and that he loved you on your darkest day, he never changed his mind about you. On your 50th time doing whatever you knew was right or wrong or whatever, and you were still, or you knew it was wrong and you knew what was right and you knew it was wrong, you still did it and you felt condemned and you felt bad and you had a place where you even cried yourself to sleep and after a while you couldn't even endure that so you hardened yourself and acted like you didn't care and it seemed like you seared your conscience, but down on the inside you're crying out because you know all that season goes by it could be a year five ten love never fails the whole time grace is greater God is coming and wants mercy to triumph over judgment and love is covering a multitude of sin why he wants to snatch you out of that place and say I have known all along you're more than that Yeah, we haven't been treated that way in our lives. We do something, we get stereotyped. People say, oh yeah, I know Johnny. Because Johnny did something. Oh yeah, I know Larry, I used to work with Larry. 
And when they say, I know Larry, they're attaching it to something he did. But if you ask the father who Larry is, they'll say, oh, I know Larry from the beginning. Made for my image, purpose, and destiny. Made to live in my spirit and be filled with who I am. Oh, I know Larry well. (laughs) So Jesus comes and gives his life for Larry. And he takes on Larry. And he takes the punishment of Larry on that cross. So Larry can look through Jesus to the Father. And be restored and be whole and be healed. And be delivered and see the love of the Father. Come on, that's a simple cross. If you're just making it all about heaven, if you're just making it all about getting a blessing, well, now you're living for heaven and going through hell now. Can't wait for the trumpet to blow. God, I watch Fox and CNN, and I'm not sure why you ain't come yet. Sure be good if you'd get me out of here. It's getting darker and darker, Lord. Well, darkness is the absence of light. Let your light so shine before men, not watch Fox 43 News and pray for Jesus to come back. Because the Bible says the reason he didn't come back, he's hoping that somebody else might change and get saved. So when you're, hey, I got my name in the book, pal. I'm ready. My bags are packed. I'm heading out of here. You blow the trumpet now, I'll be happy. What about all the people that ain't ready? You know what you're saying? To heaven with me, to hell with everybody else. I want my way. I'm out of here. I'm tired of life. I'm tired of people. I'm tired of living. Nope, you're void of a revelation. You're actually all about yourself. You're a million miles from truth. How's that for just being real? Because when you really understood, you wouldn't be praying that stuff. You're praying for the greatest move of God we've ever seen. And if that trumpet blows, it's because it's time and it's ready. And who was going to be saved is saved, and God knows. But you don't want to get out of here like some great escape. Are you kidding me? I don't even want to die. I know Paul said to be with the Lord is greater. I don't even want to die. In my heart right now, I told my granddaughter, she's 13, I'm 57. I said, girl, you get up there around 50, you better look around because your old grandpa's going to be here hanging on. I said, I just feel it in my heart. I ain't in a hurry. I'm not mad at life. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at God. That's ludicrous. I want to live. I want to write a legacy. I want to live. I want to have as much impact as time will let me, as grace will permit, so that I can step in there someday and know I brought glory to his name and that other people knew him because I was privileged to know him, that some people had hope because I had hope. That marriages got restored because love came and permeated their hearts. Man, I want to go into heaven and know that I let that matter more than who did what and who didn't what and who said what and they said what. (laughs) Come on, you better be really careful in these days. Who's who and who's what. Social media is dangerous if you're not secure. If you don't know who you are, you shouldn't even be anywhere near social media. You're posting stuff, trying to be a hit, and they give you a thumbs down and insecurity just rocks you. And then you read their comment, now you don't even know what to do. You better be careful with social media. It'll eat you up if you don't know who you are. 
It's best just stay away from all that stuff. They, got, they apparently got me on that YouTube preaching. People must put comments. What they think and what they feel. You better know who you are. And none of that stuff better matter. Because if that's your motive, you're only as strong as the weakness around you. And you're only as good as people are doing you. And then you can sing Jesus is Lord all you want. But other things matter more. Come on, I'm just stirring your heart. You just locate yourself and go, ah! <laughs> yeah? Come on, you live with you. I, I didn't come here to figure all that out. You live with you. I'm just saying. They gave me a mic. I'm not going to be muted. They gave me a mic. So I, I'm going to throw as many things out there as I can. It's, it's my job <laughs> in the Lord. Just serious. <laughs> This is a spiritual Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. In the spirit. Shoot as many things as I can. Locate you. Come on, we're destroyed for the lack of knowledge. In all you're getting, get understanding. wonder if I'm saying something tonight and you just go, whoa, yeah. Duh, I've been letting that matter. And all of a sudden, you're convicted, and you realize how something's been mattering more than what matters most. And all of a sudden, you're sensitive to it, and you're convicted, and you're aware of it. Now, to feel bad about it's a zero. Like all these things I'm saying, you can tell I'm not here to correct you guys. I have no need to correct you. I don't even know that you need corrected. But we all need encouraged and cheered on and stirred in the right direction. So guess why I flew here? To tell you who you are. I flew here to tell you who you are and what he paid for and what's possible. And if it adjusts you in the process and you feel corrected, hey, fine. At least you're getting vision and direction. So don't leave here tonight and say, boy, I got a long way to go, brother. No. Wow, Lord, you sure painted a trail in front of me tonight. You sure lit up the trail, man. I, wow, I got direction. I got vision. Wow, I got purpose. Somebody said, brother, you sure stepped on my toes. I did not come here to step on your toes. I came here to tell you who you are. Tell you who you are. Every person in this place and every person on this earth was made for his image. And he paid a price to put that image back inside. It's found in the person of Holy Spirit. He, he wants to live in us. Not just sing to him, which you do great. <laughs> but he wants us. And you can always tell when somebody knows him, when somebody has a relationship. <laughs> it's just good. That kind of heart cry doesn't come out of you unless you really know him. It was so good. Bless my socks off. Thanks, guys. All of you. Yeah. You guys good? This is why we're on the planet. If, if you get one thing out of tonight, and it would be this one thing right here, that every day for the rest of my life, when I wake up, I'm going to pursue this truth that nobody owes me a thing. 
and I'm going to owe no man anything but to love. I wonder if you'd bring that into your marriage instead of 50-50, a lot of work, man has his needs, women has his needs. Watch, the fall of man and the fall of woman have their needs. Not the renewed man and woman in Christ. God didn't make us the way we grew up. Adam did that. You guys weren't born in Christ. You were born in Adam. When you get a relationship in marriage, you bring those deficits into the marriage. And I love you. Usually I need you. And as much as there seems to be romance and ooh, in marriage, there's a whole lot of pain and stuff. And we say, well, you just got to take the good with the bad. And you got to walk. You try to sell that to heaven. You try to talk Jesus into what you're trying to say. You try to talk Jesus into some of the stuff we've sold ourselves. <laughs> you let Jesus teach you that your spouse owes you nothing. And you woke up for one reason, to shine and manifest Jesus in your home. Ain't this something? Love lays down its life for another Love gives itself for the sake of another. Is that scriptural? Guess what the lack of love does? Lives at the expense of others. And we've all done that. You say, how did I live? You could just be in a family of three, two, four, six, and put pressure on that family through an attitude of whatever. Just shut yourself in a room. Just don't want to talk. Just moody. It's not your calling. Your calling is not to have an attitude and have issues. And you say, yeah, but there's skirmishes in families. Back off, Dan. Get real, brother. You're losing me now. You're getting out there. You're hypo-spiritual. Everybody's going to have their moments. Wonder if you believing that is what gives you permission. You try to sell that language to Jesus that everybody's going to have their moments. You try to sell that to Jesus. I bet he ain't buying I bet he's calling you higher. I bet he's trying to get you out of the darkness and into the light. <laughs> I bet he's saying, come out from among them and be ye separate. You're in the world. You're not of the world. Stop talking like it and thinking like it. Because every time you talk like that, you know what you're doing? You're finding personal permission to stay the same. You say, well, everybody has their moments, brother. That's why you have yours and there'll be no conviction when you have it because you've already labeled yourself. So you don't believe you can go higher. We all know it's not about perfection. It's about purity. So you're not risking failing when you step out in this. You're privileged to become. Are you with me? You're not risking failure. You're being privileged to become, to grow up into him in all things. So wonder if you do step out of line of where you're heading. You cover it with love, you repent, you be sincere, and you thank God and celebrate for the truth that's working in you and separating you from what you used to be that wasn't all Him. You don't say, oh, I blew it. You say, wow, thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the truth that's alive in me. God, I'm wiser and sharper and smarter than I've ever been. Two months ago, I'd have done that and thought I had the right. Now I see it's none of you. Yeah? Just think what that looks like in, the, in a six months. What that looks like in a year. Woohoo! All of a sudden, we all come to the same church. 
We all like each other. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? I actually believe it's possible to live in peace. Why do, you have to, why do you have to have a war when you disagree? People say, you don't ever disagree with your wife? Why do you have to be angry when you disagree? That's called selfish, self-centered, control, manipulation. Do you need to be right at the expense of your emotions and theirs? Sometimes you just don't agree. Yeah? Why do you have to fight over that? Because you need people to agree with you. You need people to feel you're trying to find, and you're finding something through them going, okay, yeah, I agree. My wife and I don't agree on everything. We don't have to. I woke up to love her, period. That's all she'll get from me. Yay. Sure makes for a nice home. You know how spouses, I used to do this terribly. We do it to each other. It's such control. You know how spouses give each other the silent treatment? Like they got a mood going on. They got an unsettled conflict, an unresolved issue. So instead of talking it out and communicating from a humble heart, they just send body language. Say, hey, honey, how you doing? I'm okay. You just go do your stuff. And whether it's the guy or girl, either end. I'm not making one or the other. It work both ways. And the other spouse follows him down, tracks him. Now you got him on the string, see? What's the matter? Are you okay? I'm fine. So well, you don't seem fine. You just seem quiet. I'm okay. Okay? How about you just being okay? I'm fine. But they know you're not because you're different. And you're making a statement without finding resolve. It happens all the time. Now, I'm not being mean. You will never find Jesus doing that. (laughs) Jesus didn't teach you that. He's the good teacher. Call no one on earth your teacher. You have one. He's the Christ. So if Jesus didn't teach you that, where'd you learn that? And why are you willing to hold on to it? Because you have rights. But a Christian denies himself. Where'd you get the rights? Are you guys okay? See, I'm down here. I'm, man, this is sticking now. I can feel I'm coming after you now. Can you picture Jesus living that way? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So where do you find permission to live that way if the Christ in you never would? See, this is the barometer Holy Spirit has taught me to live by to train me and build me up in these truths. And now he lets me just preach them out because I've actually walked in these truths. I don't just preach them. This isn't my theology. That's why I'm so passionate and fired up because it's fun to live free. He said, well, that's self-professed and proclaimed. Well, I'm either the most deceived man you ever met or I'm free. It's one or the other. The way I'm preaching, I'm either on to something or I'm loco. And time will tell. Time will tell. We'll get our verdict someday. But I promise you, I had all my chips on free. Because I know in my heart why I woke up today. And I did not wake up for you to do me right. I woke up to be more like him. So my day was already won before I woke up. It was already amazing. 
Did you ever notice we're a dead giveaway? We're a dead giveaway. Did you ever notice? You come up to a Christian and say, how's it going? And usually a Christian will tell you their two biggest challenges and say, keep me in prayer. Am I telling the truth? You say, hey, how you doing? Well, I mean, we're doing okay. Just been a little tight at work. and We're not sure if I'm going to keep my job. And, and then our youngest daughter, oh, my goodness, keep her in prayer. She's just making crazy decisions. And that's how we answer when people say, how are you doing? Why? Because how it's going is how we're doing. So we're living for the moment, not living in him. So all of a sudden, you're only as good as life is going instead of as good as the life in you, and now you're missing why the life is in you. So then all your prayers and all your faith efforts are this way to get all this to change because this is deciding you. And all of a sudden, Christianity is reduced to him making your world work out. And in America, that's the way the gospels preach predominantly, just praying to get things to go the way that's good. So then when it doesn't go good, people fall apart, question their faith. Why doesn't God move when I pray? Some of them get frustrated and discouraged and give up on faith in God, which means they never had a covenant mentality in the first place. And all of a sudden, we're just Christians for what he can do for us instead of how he can make us more like him. Because that's what will take you to the finish line. And on that day when you stand before him, that's what will determine if you have a legacy or not. Or offense and frustration and 20 reasons why you're not okay. They won't fly in the presence of the Lord. You won't be able to look at him and cry and say, God, where were you? I prayed and prayed. Why didn't you change them? You knew how bad they were treating me. You won't even be able to think that in the light of his glory. You'll go, oops, was I ever deceived. And then you'll fall on his mercy, and he's amazing, I'm sure. But it costs you purpose. It costs you legacy. It costs you freedom. It costs you time, and we're to redeem the time. Days are evil. Redeem the time. You can't be costing time and redeem the time. That's opposite. You got this one little window. It's called life. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm 57. I don't even know where that went. I don't feel, I don't know what 57 means in the kingdom. I'm not in denial. I, I, I feel amazing. I feel like a kid in my heart. Yeah? 57. Barely scratched the map of eternity, but yet in this natural body, I'm 57. Natural life, I'm probably a little past halfway. Yeah? But I'm telling stories that were 40 years ago and it feels like yesterday. You relate? Yeah. I'm 57. There's some of you. Who's older than 57? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Watch. You're 30. You know what I'm talking about. Because, because when you were 12, you couldn't wait till you were 16. And when you were 16, you couldn't wait till you were 18 because you're an adult. And then you're thinking 21, and some people for the wrong reason, 21. And then you're about 25, and you're thinking, I've lost sight of anything profitable anymore. What's going on? Back up! <laughs> 
Kids do it all the time. We all did it. You're pushing. You can't wait till you're 13 and 16 and 18 and 21. And then you're like, whoa, freaked out. <laughs> but it comes. I don't know why. When I was when I was little, I knew this boy, he was 15, and you know, when you get impressionable, and, and you're like thinking, whoa, 15, he's 15. He was at some house, we were there, and I was just like eight, and he was 15, he was like Superman to me. And I remember thinking, man, I'll never be 15. <laughs> I remember thinking, it was, I was eight, and I'm thinking, 15, I'll never make it. <laughs> And now I'm almost four times there. Four times 15. Come on, man. You know what I'm saying? But it feels like yesterday. This thing is flying. It's a gift, not a grind, not a dread, not a regret. You can't even be 60 or 70 and sit here and say, well, it's a little late for this now, brother. I wish I had this 35 years ago. Stop. That's analytical. That's rational. That's going to stop you from making the rest of your years matter in truth. So wonder if your heart gets a revelation and you're 75. Well, then let the next 10 years be the most dynamic years of your life and let him be the redeemer of all things. And sow seed into men's hearts and be a living example and walk in the light and refuse to be denied and stay in freedom and let your 10 years matter. That sure beats, well, it's too late now. I wish I had this 50 years ago. And then the next 10 go by, and they're probably a little worse because you're sitting on a conviction. We ought to talk about this stuff. It's happening. I just had a man walk up to me. He said, I lived 72 years to hear the gospel. He's been in church his whole life. He said, I've lived 72 years to hear the gospel. He said, nobody ever told me this about God's purpose and intention in sending his son. He said, I'm going to make the most of it from here. I said, God bless you. I brought tears. I just hugged him. That sure beats where was he when I needed it the most. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who can even measure what God could do with a heart surrendered? If that man lives 15 more years, 10 more, who, who could weigh what God could do in 10 years of fully surrender and totally swallow up 70 living in ignorance with a good intention but not knowing? Who knows that God can trump all that with the last 10 given, holy given, and bring glory to his name and that man can walk into heaven someday and heaven go bonkers and shout because of glory to the name of the Son of God. God could scoop him up in his hand and say, here's my son who lived 70 years, da-da-da-da-da. And when faced with this truth and reality, he didn't turn and run and complain and cry, but he totally surrendered. And in these last 10 years, I threw him, and heaven's roaring. You ought to paint those pictures. Having to scoop you up. Here's my little girl. Paints your life and says you could have been a lot of other things, but you chose to surrender and believe. And heaven's just roaring and honoring the sun through his blood. 
and that'll be your story forever. See, faith will take you there. The just live by. But unbelief, fear, feelings, regret, dread, analytical thinking, common knowledge, human reasoning will wipe it out. And all of a sudden you stand there on that day and you got nothing to show for the gift called life and faith through him. Except for hurt, regrets, pain, offended, lived a pretty good life, had a decent IRA, raised our kids nice. Come on. That is not why we're here. He said, unless you love less, love less, your mama, your papa, your spouse, your children, your houses and your land, and yes, even your own life, you'll by no means be my disciple. Be honest with me. In this country, most people become Christians for the well-being of that list. And he said, unless you love it less, you'll never fulfill why you're here. Anybody can be a Christian for the motive of the well-being of the list. That doesn't take an ounce of sacrifice. That puts him in a bottle and calls him genie. I'm going to stick with what Jesus said on this one. He said, if you don't love less that list, you'll never fulfill why you're here. Disciple means wholehearted follower, disciplined learner. You will never wholly follow why you're here because something on that list will distract you. And you'll draw back. Trauma, surprises, trouble. Don't talk that, brother. Stop. Your brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same things. That stop being afraid of fire. No wonder it burns so much. Fire is not the issue. He's the Lord over fire. It's not about how much trouble's raging. It's that you got amazing answer in God. It's not who's doing you wrong and who's doing you right. He did you right. Live from there. See, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. He took a cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's a new covenant. It's in my blood. On the night he was betrayed, his idea of responding was lay down his life. This is the stuff. He's our barometer. He's the author and finisher. He started. He's finishing, right? You got to look unto him. That's why I use him all the time as an example. You got to look unto him. So, so, so you got to make sure on the night you're betrayed. You're not calling a friend crying, telling them the details. And then your friend sympathizing and saying, well, let's pray. Making it spiritual like it's Christian now because you prayed. They did what to you? I can't believe they did that. Oh, my goodness, you must be so broken. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry that they did. Let's just pray. God, would you just bring your comfort? You say, Dan, this is pretty heartless. That's just compassion. No, it's human sympathy. You're giving them a right to be broken, and there's no way they'll ever change, and no wonder they're so close to you right now because you're supporting their brokenness. I promise you Jesus wouldn't minister like that. We do it in home groups and little settings all the time. Sally, how's things at home? Because you know the home's tough. You know her husband doesn't want nothing to do with God. You know he's mean and miserable, and you know if you live with him, you might have shot him by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So you're like, Sally, how's things at home? Before we all leave, how's things at home, honey? And Sally just goes, and you got your answer. So we do this great Christian thing. We call it Christian. We say, oh, Sally. We hurt for her. We don't hurt for him. We're mad at him. He's a jerk. Be real with me. Sally is sweet. She is kind. She is a woman of God. She loves Jesus. Why can't he get a grip and honor and see the good thing he got? He married up. So we're mad at her husband. And we're sympathizing with Sally. You are totally, totally not going to help her when you all wrap around her. Whoever saw this in a meeting, and you start praying, and God, would you just comfort her? God, would you change her husband? God. And now Sally is not just going like this. She's going, <laughs> why? Because she's relating to the pain and relating to the deficit, and, and you're helping embroil it, and you're calling it compassion and ministry. Somebody needs to be bold enough to understand that this isn't good and I wish he wasn't living this way, but honey, you are not a product of where he is or isn't. Christ is in you, girl. You can no longer let this man rule your disposition and rule your days because he's called husband. You can't teach me or show me where she's any less called, less anointed, has less purpose because of him. We get tricked into finding our identity through each other, and we think because he's a spouse, he's my husband, now I'm either stuck with him or i got to live this way the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, natural reasoning takes us out of faith and living by the Spirit, and all of a sudden, one man is deciding me every day. It's right here every day, and that one man's name isn't Jesus. You can't tell me that that's not deception. Somebody needs to kneel down and be compassionate and understanding. Sally, I'm so sorry that your husband is choosing to live this way, and I'm sorry about the words he says, but honey, listen to me carefully. You are not threatened about any of those words. He's a dry, empty cup, honey. He, he's hurting. He needs compassion. He needs sensitivity. Some of the people in the home group might be thinking, no, he needs a knock over the head. <laughs> because when you're thinking that, you don't have, you're not qualified to pray for him. Your prayers will never get through the drop ceiling. They'll never go into the bowls of incense if you don't have compassion for her husband. Because honestly, when you look at Sally and you look at her husband, Fred, Sally does not even have a problem. Sally has a covenant and an answer, and she loves God. Her problem isn't Fred. Fred's in trouble. But Christians take it personal and take life personal, and we side with Sally because she's sweet and he's a jerk. And now we have no compassion. We're praying stuff like, knock him off his high horse because we've read that in the Bible somewhere. And all of a sudden, there's zero compassion for Fred. There's disdain for Fred and human sympathy, not compassion. Human empathy for Sally because you know if you were in her shoes, you'd cry too. And now, because you know you'd be in pain, you have no ability to help her. All you can do is agree with her pain. If you knew you'd be hurt too, how can you help her? You can only help her if you know you wouldn't be hurt and you can pull her into what you understand. Oh, I hope you're listening. Are you okay? You good? 
Come on, if all you can do, did you ever notice how hurting people surround themselves with people that understand their pain and call them their friends in that season? And they'll never be able to help them, just console them. And their highest grace they're receiving is that somebody is so sensitive to me to seem to care in my time of need. But how's that an answer for change? Where's there a victory in that? There is not. Thank you. And we ought to talk about this stuff in a family meeting so that none of us get tripped there and trapped there and none of us feed this monster called living for ourselves. <laughs> Whoever saw the chapter in the Bible where Jesus, oh, this is awesome. Whoever saw where Jesus is just sitting on the Mount of Olives, he's just bummed out that morning. And Peter comes walking over, good morning, Lord. Did you sleep? Oh, a little bit. <laughs> Why didn't you say, well, I got a lot on my mind. Got a lot on my mind, Peter. Just, you just don't understand, okay? I got a lot on my plate right now. And don't ask a lot of me, don't push me, and don't expect much of me because you can't really relate. You're not quite in my shoes, Peter, okay? And all of a sudden, Peter sides close, rubs his hands through his hair, snuggles up to Jesus. Really, man, I, so what's going on, though? Talk to me, man. Well, it's just the people, you know? I mean, I do good every day. I got my heart before the Lord every day. I check my motives. I know it's love. I know it's right. But people don't care. Like, like the other day, remember I fed them and they followed us over to the shore and they found me in there. The only reason they came, I told them, I even called them out. I said, you just want me to feed you again. You loved the meal, you ate, and you came, found me so you can get more food. They care less about what I said. Remember when I said? Now you hung there, praise God, yeah. You, you know, because cause, cause, <laughs> you, you said you have the words alive and where would I go? But remember how they all left? It's just been eating at me, Peter. Like these people don't appreciate nothing. Remember Capernaum? When, when all them people got healed and all the miracles, I mean, yeah, I know that was, yeah, it was cool. But, but the bottom line is they're missing the point. They're no different. So they saw miracles, but their hearts aren't for me. They're not, they're, they're not for the Father. In fact, they're trying to figure out what demons possess in me. It's pretty hard, Peter, every day to wake up every day and people are trying to figure out who you are and their answer's always wrong. I'm just... I just think, and then today, they're going to throng me, they're going to want healed, they're going to want delivered, they're going to want fed, and I just ain't feeling it, Peter. I mean, I don't think they appreciate me, and if they didn't change by now, why are they going to change? I mean, how much more good can I do? I've just, I've been thinking a lot overnight, and I'm just, I'm not feeling, John, yeah, John, no, you're not, no, not today, you're not, no, no. In fact, we're switching this thing around. So none of you read that chapter in your Bible. Huh? You didn't read that. Why are you all laughing all hysterical? Because when you put Jesus in that position, it sounds ridiculous. Because we know who Jesus is. But when you're in that position, why isn't it just as ridiculous? Because you're made for his image. And as he is, so are you in this world. So if you're found in that attitude, why isn't it just as hysterical? Listen, if you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. If it was apple juice, it would be weird. So why isn't it weird when you squeeze a Christian and get everything but Christ? 
man, that should be weird. It should be really weird to be squeezed. wonder if Satan's figured out that we don't even know who we are and why. wonder if he admits our hearts are sincere. wonder if he admits we're not really hypocrites. We're just being destroyed for what we don't understand. So he just wants to make it all about everything else instead of about what it really is all about. So he doesn't even mind you going to church. He doesn't even resist that. Because you going to church could be one of the most dangerous times in your life. Because you might go to church and get a different impression of what Christian is. And all of a sudden you have the capacity to sing loud. Wave the little thingies. And get both hands extended. And still have all the same issues in your heart that you had before you ever did those things. Have the same judgments towards people. Have the same regrets. Have the same unforgivenesses. And all of a sudden, Satan could care less if you go to church and never become her. He could care less if you plead the love of God and never become it. Because being loved by God is not the goal of Christianity. That's where Christianity starts, being loved by God. The goal of Christianity is becoming that very love. And if we, I'm saying this right here to you guys, Pastors, I believe this with all my heart. If we miss becoming love, I believe we've missed the whole reason that he came. He came to transform me and restore me back to what I was in the beginning before sin. Let us make man in our... And in the likeness and image of God, he made man. What do we do? We behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into that. Same from glory to glory, even by the Lord. Colossians 3.10, we're going to put off the old man and his deeds. We're going to put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I was taught my whole life that Jesus died on the cross because I was a sinner. Now I realize he had to die because I sinned. But he didn't go to the cross because I was a sinner. He went on the cross because I was a lost son and I had purpose, potential, and destiny. He didn't go to the cross to forgive me. He came to the cross to restore me. Of course his blood forgives me. Of course he had to die because of my sin. He did not die because I was a sinner. He died because I was a lost son. He wanted to restore. He became the lie so the truth could get back on me. He became what I was so I could be empowered to be what he always intended. He got beat beyond description and lost his visage and appearance because when Adam sinned, he didn't look anything like he was created to be. He lost his appearance. So Jesus lost his so I could get my identity back and walk in the truth again. Yeah? Yeah. This thing is a little bit more than protecting my household, paying my bills. You don't have to pray much about traffic out this way, but too much. Keep me out of traffic. Do you even have any, you don't even have traffic lights around here, do you? You all know, you know what they are, right? Traffic lights, red, yellow, green. When they're red, you stop. When they turn yellow, the green's about ready to turn red, so you're supposed to stop if you can't get through on the yellow. You guys know what a light is? See, because in places where they have traffic lights, people think their faith is to get green lights. 
They think that's an exercise of faith, just praying for a smooth ride through town. Green, bam, green, bam, green, bam. Woo! So then they get to work and they're just strutting through the earth in the spirit because they got 10 green lights. But they're ticked off at their boss. And don't do their work under the Lord, but man, they spiritual. 10 green lights. You don't have faith to get a green light. This isn't a good illustration in the country where you live, the town. But you get the point. Watch this. Here's what we don't understand. When somebody's light is green, somebody's light is red. And a Christian should care about that. Yeah? So now we're just floating through the earth. Ten green lights. You don't have faith for lights to be green or red. You have faith to destroy the works of hell, right? And in that faith, stay fixed on why you're here. You get it? And you say, well, red lights are from hell. People drive in a parking lot and they'll drive and pray in tongues. And they'll drive, they'll make three circles. This is not far off, I'm telling you. They'll make three circles around the driveway, around the parking lot, praying in tongues, and somebody will finally back out in the front and they'll call it favor. <laughs> Woo, look what Jesus just did. Well, Jesus would probably park in the back if he could walk. If you have trouble walking, park in the front. But if Jesus could walk, he'd probably park in the back and wouldn't even look for the front. <laughs> I'm just saying that we should let him be our barometer. So if you can't find what you're thinking and what you're saying and what you're believing and, and, and find it in him and put it in his mouth and make it fit, then it should never be in ours. What you're thinking and meditating and dwelling on, if you can't find that in the Father and you can't make it fit in him, then why is it okay in you? How else do we follow him, Pastor? Pastor? Or do we just sing to him and pray to him when we're in trouble? Or do we follow him? So if you don't deny your, pick up your, you'll never follow him. If you don't deny yourself, you'll never pick up your cross. What's pick up your cross? Pick up your cross is simple. You walk through life and don't let life decide who you are. You don't let what people don't see decide what you do see if he's the light of the world. You don't let sin against you have the right to produce sin in you. You overcome evil with good. That's picking up your cross. You carry your cross. Could you, could you picture Jesus having some other mentality? Carrying a cross. He's beat beyond description. You get that, right? Isaiah 52, marred more than any of the sons of men. Come on, I hope you guys get this stuff and pick this stuff up. Isaiah, he's marred more than any of the sons of men. That means the worst barbaric, sadistic thing that men have ever done to men, Jesus appeared worse. Why? Because of what sin did to man. Wrecked his identity, took away his appearance. You couldn't recognize man after sin when you related it to what he was created to be. So Jesus lost his appearance. Could you imagine the beating it takes to lose your appearance? He should have been dead. 
That's why the Pharisees, when he was quoting scripture, they said, even now. You know where he said it in the Bible? They say, even now, he quotes the scriptures. Why'd they say that? Because he shouldn't even be alive and he's coherent enough to quote scripture. And they're wondering how he's still alive. And if you didn't follow him from the beginning and you showed up late, you wouldn't know who he was. You wouldn't know it was that Jesus guy, the prophet, the fellow that rode in on the donkey a few days ago. There'd be no way you would know it. That's what scripture teaches. Could you imagine him getting analytical and thinking like men think? They just released Barabbas and said, crucify him, and he heals all these sick. He raises the dead. He feeds the hungry. He's casting out devils. And these same groups of people don't think they weren't the ones. All week long in Jerusalem before the, the verdict and the crucifixion, he, they were gathering around, and he was doing miracles right there, right before it happened he was. Yeah? And all of a sudden, crucify him. Come on, some of us have had a way better day than that and had no reason to be encouraged in our minds. <laughs> Come on, we haven't been crucified, let alone for doing nothing wrong. Most of the time when we did something, it was pretty much deserved, and even if we got a little extra heat, we knew we kind of opened a door. Jesus did everything flawless and perfect and pure and got hammered for being right. When that happens to us, we're getting attorneys and we're writing them. We're trying to save our name. You let a person get falsely accused nowadays. They try to vindicate themselves. He went to the slaughter and didn't say a word. It's just amazing. But could you shift the gear? Just put one of us in his shoes or put our mentality in his shoes and this is what it would look like. All of a sudden, Jesus is going to the cross and he gets halfway up to Golgotha and he can't take another step. His body's screaming. He can't even hardly see. And he's thinking of Barabbas and the people. He healed everybody. He just think of that. We think we have a reason to have issues. Well, yeah, but they mistreated me. But you don't know how long they put me through that. Well, you don't know what I had to go through. It was hell living with them. I've heard all that since I've been a pastor. And I'm thinking, pastor, I don't think we understand the cross. I think we have a right to be something outside of him that he didn't pay for us to be. I think we have a right to be what Adam paid for us to be. I think we ought to get born again. And that ain't some Christian phrase. That's a life transformed. Where you put off the old and you put on the new. Could you picture Jesus doing this? He's going to Golgotha and all of a sudden he's just dropping the cross. Father, I ain't taking another step. Are you kidding me? These people are idiots. Look what they've done to me. Look at me. All I've done is good. All I've done is heal their sick and cleanse their lepers and raise their dead and cast out their devils. I've had not one wrong motive. I've been pure before them. If they didn't get changed by now, they ain't getting changed. I ain't taking another step. I can't even believe this Barabbas thing. He kills a man. I raise the dead. He causes conspiracy. I'm trying to bring peace. And they want to crucify me? No way. It's amazing. You say, well, he couldn't say that. He couldn't do that. He's the Lord. 
He's Jesus. What we miss is he's love. That's why he couldn't do that or say that. Not because he's Jesus. Because he's love. God is love. And love never fails and it won't change its mind. It takes no account of the wrong done to it. The reason Jesus can't think like that or talk like that. I've heard preachers say, what proves Jesus loves us is he didn't come down from the cross. He could have come down. There's no way he could have come down. It was never an option. Because love doesn't fail. Where do we think theologically he had the option to come off the cross? If he was slain and crucified before the foundation of the world. That day's finally here. You think he's going to come down? Are you kidding me? (laughs) You want to look at where God stands with it? Look at Isaiah 53. It pleased the father to bruise his son and cause his soul to grieve when he made him an offering for sin. What did it do? Please the father. Why? Because he knew he'd give one son and obtain many sons. And on the third day, he'd raise him from the dead and crush the power of death forever. And Jesus would come up by the spirit of holiness, raised from the dead with the keys of death, hell, and the grave, his blood speaking better things. <laughs> Get your hair standing up right there. So it pleased the father to bruise the son. What did Jesus say in the garden? He said, it's the hour of darkness. Do what you must. Who's he talking to? A bunch of men or is he talking to spirit? Is he talking to the hour of darkness? It's the hour of darkness. Do what you must. (laughs) What did he tell Pilate? (laughs) If this fight was my, if this was my kingdom and I was fighting, I'd call myriads of angels. They'd be here. This thing would be a wrap. It's not the battle Jesus was fighting. It's not a video game. It was Christ crucified. It was God so loved. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, for God was so frustrated and at wit's end with humanity, he finally sent his son? (laughs) Stuff I think about. It means something to me. Why? Because I want to learn from him. If he's the great teacher, then everything I know, I want to say I learned it from him. See, where would you get that? Him. See, there's nothing I preached to you tonight that you can't find in him. You can go back and you can play this thing over if you're taping it. You, you, there's nothing I'm preaching that you can't find because I'm using him as every example. And he's the author and he's the finisher. And if we don't keep looking to him, we'll get deceived because we'll look to one another. We'll compare ourselves among ourselves. It's not wise. We'll make a deceptive decision. We'll, we'll, we'll weigh our experience above his ability of grace in us. And we'll say this is who we are and separate it from who he is in us. All of a sudden, we're so busy with our own resumes of human function that this is just who we are, you know. Don't get in denial, brother. And all of a sudden, we abort grace and the working power of God to change us. And all of a sudden, what a man could be, he can't even become because he believes this is what he is. Are you with me? It's real simple, and I'll I'll close with this on the teaching part, and we'll see what we need to do. You guys good? 
I hope you're good. You all got serious in that last 20 minutes. This is good. No, it's a, it's a good series. It's just sober, sober in the room. You guys look good. You don't look scared. You don't look nervous. Last week I was preaching, everybody was going. I was about 10 minutes in, 15 minutes in, and I went, and all these faces were the same. It was hilarious. They were all like, everybody. I was like, ah, ah, and backed up. They were just getting shell-shocked. I was in a setting where a lot of folks didn't know what was coming. And and they showed it on their expressions. When I'm sharing these things, your heart hears its truth. And it's so simple, you can't not hear what's being said. It's super convicting. The only thing you're faced with is the willfulness of man. You either just choose the right to be hurt or hold on to what somebody did and make what they did greater than what he's calling you to. And all of a sudden, you're reserving your own self to have your own rights when you were made to model him. There's no way you can deny yourself and hold on to those rights. You can't do both. Watch. When you deny yourself, you give up those rights that we got through Adam to obtain one right through him to be more like him. That's my only right. He said, she said is a thing of the past. Tit for tat, thing of the past. Well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, that really hurt. How would you feel if they? That's language from another home that was never mine in the first place. That's the spirit of this age and the wisdom of the world trying to teach me what I'm not. And watch this. The only thing Jesus is asking you and me to give is what we never were in the first place. Everything we became through Adam is what he wants us to give up. Why have we become so familiar with it that we would covet it and think that we have a right to have a right? The only thing he's asking you to give is what you never were anyway. So you could obtain something so precious and so eternal. His image in man. Attitudes, a dime a dozen. Issues, dime a dozen. Anger, frustration, whatever, dime a dozen. It's the spirit of this age. It's the wisdom of this world. I've never seen one of those things that I just quoted and we chuckled at. I've never seen one of those things, Pastor Bob, produce life. I've never seen one of those things edify a human being. It's just giving you a right to be what you were never created to be. And then you find people that agree they're your cheering section and you stay there because you have a right. And it makes an entertaining talk show, I guess, for people. But everybody remains the same. And you're either a victim or a villain. And this is my story. No, this is my story and this is my song. (laughs) Are you with me? Please, please, please don't get deceived about your history, your past. Don't get mad at God. Well, why did he let? And why? Listen, he revealed himself through his son. The world was under sin. Sin was trying to swallow up everybody. And in due time, in darkness, he shoots up out of the earth. He springs forth truth. In due time, he sends his son. And he wants you to say, wow, 
Man, these things that happened to me were designed to harden my heart, hurt my heart, break my heart, anger my heart, so that when good news came, there wasn't nothing good about it because what about me and what happened? And, and all of a sudden, God comes and he can't possibly be good because if he was good, then how come when I was three and how come when I was seven and why did my dad and how come my mom? Every time in the Bible they asked Jesus a question from the wrong place, he never answered it. You check up on me and see if I'm right. Every time they asked him a question from a wrong place, he said, let me ask you a question. Because he wanted to realign their heart or expose it. And how many people have said, well, if God's so good, then how come? You ever hear that from a confessing Christian? And I would say, how about if I ask you a question? If God wasn't good, why'd he send his son when you were yet a sinner? Somehow we got the idea that he's in position sitting in the sky and his role is to take care of us under the terms we think is fitting. His goal is to put his life in you and make you a light in the darkness. Please don't agree with darkness when you're called to live in the light because that mentality that you're sitting on isn't producing light so you can tell where it comes from. Come on, that's just fair. And it rips out feeling sorry for yourself no matter what. Because I could tell you my story too. It's irrelevant. Don't sit there and do yourself injustice and say, well, you're being insensitive. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've been through and you don't know what they've been through. Why are we making our story our justification when it's his story that changes us? Come on. We go through this room and take the time and go through everybody's horror story. Everybody has some level of a story that wishes it would be different. That's sad. We could go through this whole room and you know what we'd find out? That somebody in this room went through some serious hell. And it would be obviously more than somebody else that went through serious hell. But what would we accomplish? So do we find ourselves through what we've been through or do we find ourselves through what he's been through? So if we go and find everybody's story, we're still powerless to help them. And the best we are implied or compelled to do is feel sorry for them. And now we can't even talk to them because we can't relate because we haven't been through what they've been through. So now we feel like we're even disqualified to minister to them because we can't relate. Oh, come on. And they reserve that right. Well, have you ever been touched wrong for two years? four nights a week, and all of a sudden the details. Yeah? And all of a sudden that person challenges you and they won't even let you in. You have to have the capacity to separate them from their story. And in the same time, show them what their story is doing to them and how it's robbing them of their created destiny. And then invite them into new life through Jesus Christ because he alone is good. And he isn't sitting there letting this happen. He's put the motion of the gospel in place. And he's looking for people to believe and come out of darkness into the light. See his first love. Not be challenged because of circumstances. See his first love. Do you ever hear somebody say, well, I can't believe God loves me. It's been an awful week. 
car broke down. I got laid off. My wife's acting crazy all in the same week. Don't tell me God loves me. <laughs> you ever hear people talking like that? See, they're tricked into trying to find God's love through their own life instead of find God's love through his own son. The measuring stick of God's love is Christ crucified, not your circumstances. Don't you be deceived. If that wasn't true, you could never be rooted and grounded in love. Love's always playing out. Love isn't playing out. And then life is always challenging his love. His love is settled. It is proven. It is finished. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So let me nutshell this one thought, and it'll just set the tone for the rest of the weekend, and then we'll wrap up here. I, I know I said that 10 minutes ago. <laughs> But I don't do good with time really well at all. <laughs> but I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I've just never accomplished that. <laughs> so if God made man for his image, and the image of God is love, I can show you two, three scriptures where Christ in the flesh, when he walked the earth, was the image of God. His expressed image, the image of his person. Yeah? I'll show you several scriptures. So he's the image of the Father, Jesus, on the earth. As a man empowered with the Spirit, he's the image of the Father. And he's in us now, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ, who's the image of the Father. We're the body of Christ, who's is the image of the Father. Do you get it? Oh! So the whole goal is to manifest the image of the one who sent him. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, it's John 20, as the Father sent me, so. He said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore. What's he doing? Passing the authority. He's saying, as I am, so you go. That's powerful. So Jesus Christ is the image of the Father on the earth, and Christ is in us, and we're the body of Christ. So he went to sit at the right hand and mediate and sent the Spirit of the Lord to us to live in us to be a witness. This has always been the gospel. Yay! It's good tidings, great joy. Has nothing to do with how the week unfolded. Has to do with the truth that makes men free. And he that the sun sets free is free indeed because he sees it. Yeah, and he won't be deceived again. And circumstances have no power anymore to take anything away that God's given. So I'm not living for a better day. I'm living for a transformed one. And my circumstances have no power over that truth because it's eternal. <laughs> so if somebody does me wrong, it's time to shine. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so he made man in his image and he empowered him. He gave him authority to subdue the earth. Is that scriptural? I'm just nutshelling. Is that scriptural? It's not a trick question. Don't be afraid. You're taught well here. You can answer. Yes. <laughs> so he gave him authority to subdue. Right? 
So in Genesis, Adam's naming all those animals. And whatever he said them to be, the Lord said it was so. He didn't upstage him, correct him. He didn't chuckle and say, that's weird. (laughs) Whatever Adam said, so it was. At that point, he looks and says, wow, this guy, he's just like me. He's got everything that I am in him. Now, who knows? We're not making him God. Who knows God's still God? But the Lord chose to make a man in his image. Give him that liberty and stop thinking we're blaspheming and heresy and all this stuff when we teach in a way that makes us one. Because that's what religion is vehement against. Always this thing of making us one because we weigh our value based on our lives lives instead of based on our created purpose and value. Your true value is found in Christ and purpose and intention. What God made you to be is where you'll find your true value. And we ought to be able to talk about it freely seeing that Scripture does freely talk about it. God chose to give us a free will. God chose to to give man dominion on the earth. It says in Psalms, he says, the heavens of the Lord and the earth he did give to the children of man. He gave us a stewardship of the earth, but he didn't give us a limitation. He gave us the authority of his name, his character, his spirit, his life, his person. He gave us the tool of words and speaking life versus death he put the power of life and death in our death and life in our tongues that's pretty humbling and amazing and then we want to blame everything on God that happens we complain and then the worst happens and we say where were you God hello we don't release a lot of faith. We're not in intercession. Our families haven't been praying a lot together. And then tragedy comes. Where were you, God? It's amazing how that happens. We live in fear for two, three years, and all of a sudden what we're fearing comes upon us. We're speaking negativity and death and speaking the worst, and then it comes. We'll find out someday if we don't get a grip on this thing, we'll go, oops. Life is such a gift. And he put who he is inside a man in the beginning. And he said to Adam, the day you eat that tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the day you surely die. Did he eat the tree? Did he fall over dead? So something had to die because Jesus said the day you eat the tree is the day you die. But he didn't fall over dead and he didn't lie. Something had to die. We all say his spirit. Well, his spirit died. Well, we don't even know what that means. It just sounds spiritual. We say, well, his spirit died. What died was who he was made to be, his identity, the image of God. What he was a second ago, he wasn't anymore. What he was made to be was lost, but not lost in God because there was a lamb already slain. Let me explain it this way. God created man in his image and God is love. God made man to love. When man sinned, he got cut off from the source of love and got separated from God and became in need of love. Every person sitting here looking this way 
was born into that dilemma along with me. We were all born needing love. And it's a horrible, wretched rat race. Because you don't have a clue who you are when you're little. You need support. You need valued. You need appreciated. You didn't even ask to need those things. You just need them because of the fall of man. You have no identity. You have insecurity. And at a very young age, you believe you are whatever it is you've become through what you've been through. And it's not even you. It's the story of what you've been through has nothing to do with truth, has nothing to do with your creative value or your personality types. Okay, let's just play with that for a second. You're seven years old, you're eight years old, you're in grade school, you're old enough to comprehend and understand they're laughing at you. They're laughing at you. And two of them just chimed in and laughed and you thought they were your friends. You shared secrets together on the playground. And now your little heart is devastated because those two little girls you were entrusting yourself to because it's hell at home and you thought you had two little friends. Now they're laughing at you. And you're eight years old and you're aware of it. Now you're self-conscious and you have two choices. You either get hurt and broken and insecure and introverted and let their laughter demean your identity or you toughen up and you harden up and you become a fighter. But no matter how you respond, neither one is really you because you're living in this world that's all twisted up. And none of your responses are hinged on truth. So is it the real you? Whatever you turn out to be, is it really you? That's why everybody needs to be born again because everybody's losing the whole time. You can win a rat race, you're still a rat. You can look like you're winning, but you're still a rat. If you're not changing on the inside, so you're winning, but you're still a rat. <laughs> Somebody like my rat illustration. <laughs> Are you with me? So here's the truth. We're all created. We're all created to love. And we were all born into the need of love. So then we all make it about getting love from one another. Well, I'm bummed out because they weren't there for me. Yeah, I went to this great church for a while. It was great. So I realized people were all about themselves, and I didn't get the support I needed, and da, da, da. And now you're telling everybody all about that. Now you're in another setting trying to get something that you'll never find this way. You with me? We get in relationships. I wish I could tell you different. But I'm convicted of this stuff. I, as, as some of your relationships, you're, you're doing good and great. But I'm just telling you, there's been more pain, more hurt, more brokenness in relationships. It far outweighs true blessing in relationships. The pain of relationships far outweighs the blessing that's been found in relationships. It's proved by divorce rate. Simply divorce rate proves that. Having four, five, six relationships before marriage that fell apart. And then you finally got married and that marriage didn't last anyway. That It just shows there's more hardship accomplished through relationship than blessing. More hurt, more pain. I wish I could be more romantic and say something more starry-eyed. But it's just not true. And the reason is, is because we haven't entered into those things becoming love. 
We've entered into those things needing love and looking for love and we got let down. And we were finding ourselves through one another. And when we say, I love you, what we're saying is, I need you. Don't break my heart. Don't jump ship. Don't pull out from under me. What you're giving to me is making me feel supported. Please don't let me fall. So when you say, I love you, you're on the thinnest ice of your life because as much as that thing is making you, it's running the risk of totally breaking and shattering you. And love's none of the above. Love is I love you. And I'll lay down my life to bring the best out in you. Love is following Jesus. Husbands are to love their wife like he loves his church. And his church hasn't treated him right. Right. A lot. What he's trying to say is, guys, find love through him. Find the definition of it through him. And the way he loves his church, you love your wives, fellas. And you wash her with the water of your words. Not, well, that girl, I'll tell you what. I knew better. I shouldn't. I should listen to my friend. When he told me not, I was making a mistake. I should listen to that man. He said, well, she's supposed to submit to me. I read my Bible. It says, wives, yield and adapt yourselves to your own husbands, even as unto the Lord. So the way you would yield and adapt to the Lord, say she's reading her Bible, and she gets convicted in her heart, and she sees something in the Lord, and the way she'd yield and adapt herself because of her love for God, she'll yield and adapt herself and keep peace in her home and love her husband. But husbands, you love your wives. Yeah? That's what it says. And the next several verses are addressed to the husbands. One verse to the wife, and we make a whole doctrine out of it and turn her into a slave to men. It's terrible. It's terrible. And it's not even saying that. In fact, women, if you look in Genesis, you weren't made because of a deficit in man. You were made because man was fulfilled and, had a, and you were made as a landing strip for love. God made man complete, and there was nowhere to go with what he made man. There was no way to multiply. There was no outlet. There was no flow. So he didn't make another lump of clay. He reached into man and brought out the woman. Two. Out of one, two. So two could be one. I found it in Genesis 27, chapter 1. It says women were made for the image and likeness of God. Your number one role in life is not to serve a man. Your number one role in life is to be found in God's image. And if you're found in God's image, who knows you'll love well. (laughs) But if you marry an insecurity or other motive, who knows that that man might not have a clue what we're talking about. (laughs) And now you got a history. (laughs) Instead of a fulfilled calling. Just saying. Y'all okay? You great? (laughs) So think with me. If God made man for his image, and God is love, and we were born into Adam needing love, then the whole transition of Christianity is stepping out of needing love to becoming love through being loved by God. So where have we really been needing love? We've been needed to get grafted back in, haven't we? 
So now we're grafted back in. We talk about this all the time. Oh, God just loves you. God just loves you. It's one thing for you to say God loves you. It's another thing for you to be loved by God. And the whole reason you're being loved by God is to be transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So you become what rescued you. Are you with me? I'm convinced of this, and I say it with strong conviction. If we miss becoming love, we've missed the point of why it came. And we've done great church and learned how to do great church, but run the risk of failing to become her in the process. What good would it do to come here 50 years, the next 50 years, and never miss a Sunday, plunk your ties in there in sincerity and worship with a sincere heart? but get thrown into crisis and respond like the man that never went to church. Something's not cool with that. And I don't think that's why we pastor. We pastor to be edified and build up and transformed into his image, build up into him and grow up into him in all things, the unity of faith. Yeah? To see people formed in Christ. I don't think it's so that we make it to the end. The gospel is not a survival kit. It's the answer of a new life. This is my fourth time closing. <laughs> if you're, if you, I'm, it is four. If you're, if you're a Christian for you, if you're a Christian for you, you're in big trouble. And that's why you're struggling. You have to be a Christian for his great name. If you're a Christian for your own well-being, no wonder it's been tough. Life is always speaking louder than truth. You're not a Christian for your well-being. You're a Christian for his great name. And when you really get that and the integrity and honor of that, it's easy to turn the cheek. It's easy to give your cloak and your tunic. It's easy to go an extra mile because there's someone you have to follow that did it well and said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Meaning if they really knew who they were, they wouldn't be living the way they are. Don't tell me we can't follow that. Faith says we can. And the power of Holy Spirit ensures it. So what do you say? (laughs) Let's all just be Christians. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. So that was my intro. (laughs) For the weekend, not tonight. My intro for the weekend. That was my little intro for the weekend. So however many times we're together and however many times I see your face, see how heaven's agreeing with me. It's just, they are having a blast up there right now. They're like, yeah. They're just shooting it off. Michael and Gabe, they're over there. Pretty awesome when you get done preaching, man. And the heavens are roaring and thundering and booming right on the heels of your great sermon. Woo! (laughs) You hear it, right? You all heard that celebration. Woo! Yeah, whether people think it's thunder. You all good? We'll talk about faith a little bit, I think, this weekend. I don't know what we'll think. I better stop saying that because then we won't do anything I'm saying. (laughs) 
Faith is what will take you to where we're talking tonight. And willingness is the only thing that will set the table. People, you have to be willing to become love. If you're ever going to become love. You have to be willing. You say, well, why wouldn't it be? Well, there's so many people that aren't willing to become love. They hold on to their rights that they inherited through Adam and common knowledge. They hold on to their friends' wisdom and advice and encouragement. And not Jesus' life. There's a whole lot of folks that don't want to become love. They have lines you can cross and chips on their shoulder they didn't openly speak about, but they're there. You've got to be willing to become love. You've got to get alone with him and tell him you're willing. And ask Holy Spirit to make Jesus' life so relevant to you and so alive to you and so obvious to you that he's always your barometer. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That he really holds the position of Lord. Because we're going to find out whether we let him be Lord or not. He's the Lord. But that's not the point. Jesus has no desire to just come and and stomp everybody's head someday and go, Lord. He wants to be Lord in you. Because that's when the whole world benefits from the beauty of who he is, not the power of who he is, the beauty of who he is. Your will be done on as it. We always make that the power of God, and it's okay we do because it's right. We say there's no cancer allowed in heaven, no cancer on the earth, and gives us faith to believe for healing. I get that. But rarely do you hear people talk about the heart of God. Your will be done on as it. No animosity in heaven, no unforgiveness, no discouragement, no anger, no jealousy, no competitiveness, no pride. Your will be done as it, the way it is here, your kingdom come, your will. And here's what faith says, and this is an honorable thing, what I'm saying. This is, this is humbling. Faith says he's giving me the right to live his will if I'm willing. Make sure you stay willing. And don't let anything change your mind. Don't let a story, a circumstance, a rationale, an analytical. Don't let a thing change your mind. Set your heart today that if I haven't been going after this, I'm going to start now. And it's not about Failing, it's about becoming. And I'm going to keep on going. And I'm not looking back. Are you with me? Some people in our lives, more than you preaching at them, they just need to see your life in consistency. They just need to see you, not even weather storms, just like there's no storm. They need to see some Shadrachs and Meshachs come out of the furnace and you can't tell they were in one. There's no smell of smoke or singeing. Just passion and fire in your eyes. Why? Because he's Lord in the midst of every flame. (laughs) Some of our families need to see that Jesus instead of the relatable Jesus. (laughs) Comfort God. (laughs) We sure don't need to see this Jesus. (laughs) 
I'm going to pray something. Could I? Open your heart and receive some grace on this. Father, I just believe I'm praying to a room of a whole bunch of yeses. I sincerely believe there's a whole lot of yeses in this room. I really do. You know. You know the state of every man's heart. And actually, people know the state of their own heart. So if there would be anything but yeses in this room, I'm asking you, Lord God, to begin to influence and turn every heart into a yes. Don't let anybody hold on to what they weren't created for. And don't let anyone hold on to what will never pay dividends in that day. God, the last thing I want to do is stand before you one day and find that technically I was right. But I was so busy being right that I was wrong. I want to be more like you. And would you help us to do that? By your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit. And would you let this word stay fresh and stay alive in our hearts. And Father, if anyone in this room would begin to track in any other direction, I pray that your love would enlighten us and make us aware of it immediately. And help us redeem the times so that we can live every day in you. I'm asking you to heal homes tonight, marriages, restore things, God, in our relationships that you've always desired to be alive and well. I just pray that husbands would be amazing husbands in Jesus and get their eyes off their wife and whatever their wife's doing and wives would be amazing wives in Jesus and just get their eyes off of their husbands and just let the honor be in loving and being every day. I pray that kind of grace in marriages, Lord. I pray that this needy expectation failed thing would just get off of the homes of your people and that somebody would dare wake up with one reason, to shine and bring glory to your name. Teach us to love you like you taught the Thessalonians. And let your love win the world. In Jesus' name, I ask you to begin right here in this house and that you would take this night and build on everything that was ever sown here. Build on everything that was ever deposited here. Father, I pray that, that this Pastor Bob and his precious wife and everything that they've sowed, that this night would just build on it, complement it, and empower it. And this pastor and his wife that are stepping in would just step in and run well and run hard with vision and purpose and direction because you have been doing a work, God. And I thank you that we'll see the beauty of that momentum and we'll see the glorious outcome. I thank you for it, God. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Yay. I almost always do something on a Friday night. I'm not sure. Ugh. I'm just listening. I almost always do something because he, he'll let you. Who knows that the Lord will tell you to do things sometimes, and sometimes you have a good thing in your heart, and he's, he's, all, he's all with it. For some reason, I feel a little hesitant right now, but I, wanna, I, just, I wanted to pray for the sick. I wanted to do it a certain way. I'm just, not, I'm just not confident I need to do it that way right now. Ah, Okay. I'm the one fighting right now, not the Lord. Because I, I don't usually do, do it this way. But I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it a little different and kind of 
abbreviated, but it won't be with less effect, I don't believe. Okay? I usually get everybody involved. I teach it out. It takes a while. And I'm not sure why, but right now I don't feel like I have the grace to go there. But I do want to pray for the sick. Don't hear me religious. I don't want this night to end with you thinking this is an end of the service ritual. If that would, man, somebody kill me if that's what I'm doing so I could raise from the dead and get it right. <laughs> yeah, and if I don't raise from the dead, praise God, I'd be better off going. Because <laughs> if that's what I'm doing, I'd be better off going. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm messing up so bad. <laughs> So don't hear me religious and and you don't even have to stand up if you're sick in your body in any way, whether you would know if you were healed because of the circumstance or you wouldn't know if you were healed because there's all kinds of sicknesses and stuff. Sometimes people get migraines every week. They just don't have one now. Sometimes people found out they have something inside and they can't tell it's there, but it's there on the picture and it's creating something, whatever. And some people just have stuff you would know if it's changed. No matter what it is, just any kind of sickness, anything less than wholeness, I need you to at least raise your hand where you're at and let me know where you're at, please. Please participate. Please don't not raise your hand. And please don't say, well, you know, I'm in faith. I don't want to raise my hand because I don't want to claim it. You're not claiming it. What you're saying is there's something going on in my body that's less than wholeness, and I believe he paid a price to heal me. That's all you're saying. The Bible says in James, is any among you sick? Let him ask. He's not saying claim the sickness. He's saying there's something going on in my life that's less than wholeness, and I just believe he paid for my redemption. That's all you're saying. Raise your hand high if that's you. Oh, wow. There's a bunch of folks. No wonder we're doing it. Now I, now I'm, now I see what we're doing now. See, because what I was going to do is I was going to get the people sitting to get to pray for the people with their hands up, but I don't have nobody sitting. I would have, I would get y'all I see what's going on now. Take the hand of the person beside you. It'll work out great. And I don't want you to wait for me to pray, but here's what I want you to do. Don't pray yet. Just take the hand of the person beside you because a lot of people raised their hands. If you raised your hand to be prayed for, just know this. You don't have to do or say a thing tonight. I want you to pray for the person beside you. But what I want you to believe is this, that God loves me and he proved it because he sent his son. Don't let the thing you've been going through question his love. Let his love be settled. He loves me or he did never say this. Don't say, well, I wonder why I've been praying for a whole year and I had all the elders pray and I'm still sick. Don't let that quandary and that question question his love. Let his love be settled. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't have sent his son. You got it? So don't let that scenario challenge what's already settled. Here's why. Faith works through If you lose sight of his love, you lose the foundation of faith, and now you're driven in need, and now you're a despairing Christian. You're just desperate. You're frustrated. You're in a quandary. You're praying from all the wrong places. It's never covenant relationship and union. And all of a sudden, that Bible becomes a book of principles you're trying to get right so you get results. That does not sound like a covenant. Are you with me? So settle in your heart if you raised your hand tonight. He heals me because he loves me, and he loves me because he sent his son. And if he didn't send his son, I could think something different, but he did. And I know he loves me. Are you with me? So, so right now, from your heart, you're holding somebody's hand. I just want you to think in their direction, right and left, and just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Just do that. Every sickness leave, every pain, every infirmity. 
I'm just going to pray corporately with you. This is what I was hesitating because I don't usually do this, but I feel like I'm just supposed to do this. Father, I thank you for healing all through this room right now. And I just thank you that you take every sickness and every disease. You just change bodies right now. Bring strength where there was weakness, regeneration where things were depleted. And God, I thank you right now. Yep, loose things that were frozen and locked and heal inside the bodies, organs and livers and intestinal things. Yep, make hearts strong and even lungs, God. Thank you for doing a work in your people tonight through the redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yep, be completely made whole. Just say that over them people that you're holding hands with. Be completely made whole because God loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray and receive restoration. Yeah, amen and amen and amen. Yeah, okay. Now I'll tell you what we're gonna do. Is any of you here coming back for any of the other services or do I run you all away? No, seriously, are you coming back? Let me see who's coming back. You think you're coming back. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. We're not even going to survey or do anything right now with this healing thing. What I want you to do tonight is leave here. No matter what you're experiencing right now, you leave here. And when you go to bed tonight, you make sure you have a personal window of time, whether it's in the bathroom, quiet, even if you're married, just find a personal window of time where you just thank God for loving you and what he's doing in your body and just thank him for being good. Will you do that personally, just intimately? Say, Father, thank you for loving me, what you've done through your son, and I just thank you for what you're doing in me. You are so good. Tomorrow, we're going to just inventory and survey it. One of the times we're all together, and we're going to find out what God's doing just in that simple way, and we might teach a little more and some things about that. I just feel like we did right tonight with that, handled it the right way. I was, I was struggling in the beginning. I was like, because <laughs> I already told Pastor what we're probably doing, and then we get there, and it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't think we're going there at all. I told him this beautiful vision of faith and why I do it. I feel I have faith. And yeah, and I'm like, ah, I have no faith right now. <laughs> I was sweating. <sighs> but he looks so gentle. You can't even be, he's just, he just, thank you for you, my brother. <laughs> I mean, if Bob looked like some pastors, I don't know. <laughs> he just, you just feel okay around the guy. You're like, so yeah, why don't uh, when you guys want to get up here and just close and say, say something or you want to? Listen, we're going to have a couple more times together. Just thanks for letting me cry on my heart. I feel like tonight was a strong teaching. Just get our hearts in a real good, healthy direction. And we'll talk about more how easy it is to live and become these things. And the healing thing's very serious. Take a moment of personal time with him tonight. When you leave here where it's just you and him. I'm telling you, it's the biggest deal of your life. There's nothing that compares with your God-given ability to be with him. Like to be with him. It is the highlight of our lives. Seeing somebody healed when I pray is amazing. Seeing somebody get saved, wow. Nothing compares with being with him. And everything we see in him should flow out of the fact that we've been with him. Please know that he paid the price for you to be with him. Yeah. And don't let anything in this hour harden your heart from that truth or it's a lie. Bless you. I'll sit down.
Amen, amen. We have, uh, we have a lot to chew on this evening. And I would just also encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to bring up again the truths that needed to hit your heart. And then there's an open invitation to repent to that if he's revealing something that isn't lining up with the life of Christ. Amen? Um, we're going to be meeting in uh, 12 and a half hours. Uh, 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, I believe we'll be open uh, earlier by 9 o'clock or so. And uh, we'll have an area, a list of area restaurants too because lunch you'll be on your own and there's some great places here in this area. So let's get a good night's rest and we'll see you all in the morning. God bless.